1: Ahoy, Mets fans. Ahoy, Mets fans. Welcome to episode 297 of Amazing Avenue Audio, the official podcast of your SB Nation, New York Mets site, Amazing Avenue. My name is Brian Salvatore. Thank you for joining us today. So this episode was recorded at the end of last week, but due to a number of unforeseen circumstances, it's just coming up now, so uh, we apologize for that. However, the only real bit of news since this episode went live is the Zach Wheeler shutdown. And we will get into that in great detail next time. So first up, Chris McShane and Allison McCaig are going to talk about the David Wright news. And uh, yeah, pretty much just the David Wright news, since that is obviously the biggest thing going on in the Mets world right now.
2: Greetings, Mets fans. We're here on Amazing Avenue Audio, uh, throwing you a curveball last week. Neither Allison nor I co-hosted. I think I, <laughs> if, if I'm correct, uh, I, I wasn't on the episode at all, but Brian's got the week off. Allison McCaig is here uh, with, with me, Chris McShane. Um, and we're here to try to walk you through, uh, you know, what's going on with the Mets and the David Wright update. So, Allison, you had a chance to actually watch the press conference, uh, which happened earlier today as we record. How did that go? I didn't get to see it, so I, I, I'm, you know, almost afraid to hear.
3: <laughs> oh, man, Chris, it was so rough. Like, I mean, he cried almost the whole time. <laughs> like, he, and mostly when he talked about his wife and his daughters, he cried a lot. And that was just, it was, it, it was gut-wrenching. I just, like, I, I was at work. Like, and my desk, I don't have an office that's, like, separate from everybody else. And it's not even like I have, like, a walled-off cubicle. It's, like, a completely open space. And I was just crying in front of all my coworkers. Damn. It was awful. Like... And I was just like, It's just a Mets thing. I'm just in my feelings. It's fine. Like, just go do your life and let me be. It was it was bad because like just seeing him so broken up and knowing that he did everything he could to come back and he's just feeling like he can't do it. It was it was really, really heartbreaking to watch. Um and I just I really just uh, uh Jeff Wilpon sitting next to him with like the completely expressionless face just made me so mad.
2: Yeah, Oh too. yeah, and and you know that that feeling being in that spot of you know I'm I'm you know emotional at work for something that nobody here can really relate to. That's, right, uh, you know that that that's something I don't know. It's something that few things can do uh, other than the Mets.
3: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and like I don't know. I think it's just. Like, we all knew that this was coming, right? Eventually, at some point, someday. Like, we all knew and we've had a long time to mentally prepare for it as Mets fans. But it's one of those things, it's, it's a cliche to say, but it's one of those things where it's like, nothing can actually prepare you for when it happens. Like, nothing can prepare you for what it actually happens. Like, I thought I was ready, but I was not ready.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, it's it's tough you know this is the guy who uh i think any rational mets fan could look at and say this is the best position player who's ever played for this team and you know he was he was a met from start to finish or he will have been a met from start to finish Yep. Uh, we've still got a tiny bit of future left on on that career uh You know, and just in case anybody has been under a rock and only listening to our podcast and not, uh, you know, tuned into any other Mets news, if this is where you get your breaking Mets news, the the summary was that basically David Wright will be activated for the final homestand of this season, uh, aiming to play on September 29th, the Saturday game, the penultimate game of the season, and there's a chance he may play, you know, in some other part of that homestand, but it'll depend on how he, you know, how he feels and, you know, the circumstances surrounding his, uh, his body and the team and probably the weather, you know, it just a little bit of everything. So we're going into it expecting one David Wright game send off and, you know, maybe some other stuff, I think, if I got that correct.
3: Yeah, that's right. It's a swan song, basically. And like, and they, and I mean, he. Even though we all knew what was happening, like he didn't use the word retirement. Um, and I think that that might have something to do with like contract stuff and like legal stuff. I'm not privy to the details, obviously, of that. Um, but he skirted around you actually using that word. Um, But, you know, uh, Steve Gelbs, I think it was asked the very first question, I didn't get all the way through all the questions. um, Because I actually like stopped listening at one point to go buy tickets for the game, because I was worried it was going to sell out like immediately. And it kind of did. Like, I was on um, SeatGeek and I kept trying to buy tickets and like it kept being like, those are sold out. Those are sold out. Every, I, I tried like 10 different times and I was on the phone with my mom at the same time and my mom was like, I'm on StubHub and I was like, oh, I'm a seat, SeatGeek and we like it took us a long time to actually get tickets. We finally did. We actually got them through the Mets because it got to the point where the prices were rising so quickly in real time that face value was a good deal by the time we were actually able to get through and buy them. Yeah,
2: so, that makes sense
3: yeah so but i missed so i didn't see all the i didn't hear all the questions but i did hear the beginning of the question and answer bit and steve galva i think i think was the very first one and he basically said like he didn't he didn't use the word retirement either but he said i mean just to be clear david this is it right and david basically said yeah i don't see he basically said the circumstances of how i'm i don't see myself in this season so that was kind of like at that at that moment, it kind of sunk into everybody. This is actually like a swan song, and he's not coming back this year.
2: Yeah, yeah, no, that's uh, yeah. As as I'm looking at it, yeah, um, after not really having a chance, <laughs> the ticket situa- situation might be uh, less ideal than I expected. But
3: yeah, like we'll, we'll see. I, on the broadcast, I was listening to the radio. Um, During game two of today's doubleheader, I was listening to the radio while I was walking the dog and um, Rain Randazzo said, because he's in for Josh Lewin, he said um, that the tickets were sold out, (laughs) at least on like Mets.com, I assume. Obviously, you can still get them on StubHub for probably like exorbitant prices, but... um...
2: Yeah, it looks like the uh, at the moment, the only thing on Mets.com is Metropolitan Platinum for $445 each. So. Super. You can probably do better than that on StubHub.
3: Yeah, I was hearing that standing room only was like $100 at this point. I was like, what the heck? Yeah, it's crazy.
2: <laughs> well, yeah, I, I'm not. Uh, so we had been sort of discussing on the podcast over and over. We've mentioned getting a uh, get-together in in person uh, at some point this season at a game. And as the Mets had gotten worse and worse, it kind of just was easier to put it off and put it off. And we had been looking at September anyway. Uh, So we were looking at the 30th before there was any concrete plan for David Wright. And, uh, you know, I don't know. Now I I think it's just kind of going to be if you're at – the 29th if you're at the 30th will make it a point to have a meetup you know standing room uh, for either all or some of the game uh you know on on the field level so
3: yeah i mean um, i'll be there on the 29th for sure and i'm debating about the 30th still i may end up staying in new york and then well in new jersey rather and then also going to the game on the 30th but i haven't decided about that yet but i'm definitely going to be there on the 29th so
2: nice yeah yeah so that stay tuned on that we you know we kind of slacked and then we were about ready to be like okay let's just do the final game of the season and you know then this this stuff came up uh and and sort of took over
3: yeah and if the amazing avenue slack is any indication then like 90% Ninety percent of our staff is gonna be
2: there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I was
3: like, "Is anyone gonna be able to recap this game?"
2: <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> We're all gonna be there.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that's uh, you know, that, that that's one of those that uh, if it, you know if it takes a little extra time, uh, you know, we we, we can we can work on on that uh, a little bit later after everybody gets done processing all of it, but. But yeah, yeah. Day. I mean, we, we will probably do an entire episode of David Wright retrospective. But, you know, given what we know now, we're in a spot that I think we can begin to reflect on his career. So there are so many things that, that might stand out uh, over the course of it. But it, do you have a, a top David Wright moment as a memory or, or a top one or two, you know?
3: Yeah, It's hard to pick just one. I have a few, Um, so I mean, I know it's like he's had such a long career, and there are so many. But I like even like now that I've like put some distance between, since he hasn't played in a while, and I've put some distance between myself and when he last played. Like the the 2015 comeback and that whole thing is up there now. I think as, like, one of the top David Wright moments. The, for me, I think the, like, slide across home plate fist pump against the Nationals is still just, like, one of the top Mets moments for me, period, let alone a David Wright moment, just because of everything that meant for him and in addition to the Mets. I think that that was... And just the whole timeline of that, starting there and then also during the playoffs um the home run he hit during the playoffs the home run he hit in his first game back and then the the national fist pump the the way he uh in the in game one the like single he drove in a couple runs with, in the playoffs and then the home run he hit just everything of 2015 is like a top moment for me for sure that comeback that he had
2: yeah uh-huh. and i mean the fact that that ends in you know the uh the the World Series home run, you know, yeah, that that's up there for me. Getting to getting to be there and see David Wright hit a home run in the World Series. Obviously, I would prefer that it would have been a World Series victory uh, in the end for the Vets, but yeah, you know, that was awesome.
3: Yeah, that was just so great. Um, I think another I think another one that's high up there on the list is a walk off against Mariano Rivera. That's pretty high for me.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, they, hey, there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> that's yeah.
3: That's definitely one of my top moments, uh, was that. And I just remember like, cause that was still a time when I was living at home and I just remember like flipping out in my living room with my parents and us just like running around and like yelling and just like any memories that I have of the Mets of like still being at home with my family and like all of us celebrating as a family are special to me. And that was one of them. Um, so there was that, um, definitely, um, the 006 playoffs are still high up there for me too. Um, and, da- and the role that David Wright played, he was so good that year, so good that year. Um, and I know that we had like so many giants on that team when it comes to like Beltran Delgado, like all the big boppers that we had on that team that I feel like David Wright's performance kind of gets a little overshadowed sometimes. Um, but he was so good that year and so instrumental in that, um, in that playoff run that they had. Um, so that's also up there. Um, just, I think that like, it's painful for me to know that he never won a ring. That's really hard. But I think the more time that passes and the more that I've like, we'll be able to process this. I think the more I'm going to appreciate the two playoff runs he did have and how great they were. Um, so yeah, that's up there too.
2: Yeah, yeah, no, no, absolutely. Uh, yeah, there's you know, just just the overall like it, the overall performance of his career, you know even even as he was starting to have issues that cost him a lot of playing time, um, you know, this was a guy who when he played, he, performed well he always hit well and you know it's just uh, you take it all together and it, it, it's it's a career you can appreciate and you know for me uh, it's funny I I, I asked the question I don't even know if I have a clear answer of my own for it but <laughs> yeah I think you know it him him celebrating um, and, and at the time uh, you know, at the time Jose Reyes was just as exciting as he was, you know that was that that duo celebrating the division championship at, at Shea Stadium uh stands out you know the yeah the barehanded catch in I think they were in San Diego back then you know it, it, you know that that stands out certainly the World Series home run uh you know there there was at least one all star game where he had a big hit you know just yeah thing all those kind of things. and The
3: home run derby at City Field. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. No, it's crazy how long ago that feels. And, you know. Yeah. It, it wasn't It wasn't that long ago. Um, it
3: wasn't, but it feels like forever ago.
2: Yeah. It's nice. The Sometimes. Matt
3: Harvey, David Wright duo, you know, at, <laughs> at City Field for the All-Star game. It feels like a different era almost. It was only five years ago.
2: Yeah. Yeah, no, that it's it's nice when you have moments like that because you know all too often you go oh that that happened this thing that I'm thinking of happened last year or two years ago, and you look and it's like no, that was seven years ago <laughs> yeah, right you know so that that's a it's a nice thing to to kind of feel like like wow that was that was fairly recent um in the history of baseball, so yeah, but yeah it's it's tough, you know. This is a this is a guy who, uh, at the risk of getting into baseball cliches, just did things exactly how you'd want a player to do them, and performed at a top level, and you know was just a solid, a solid dude from all everybody can you know tell from where we sit. So yeah,
3: I mean, all of his teammates have all of his teammates I've ever played with him have nothing but great things to say about David Wright. One of the dudes in the never heard a single bad thing about. And this is like, and unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on how you look at it, but this is an era now of us, you know, finding out more than we ever would before about guys and their past and things that they didn't think would come up. Um, you know, between the like Josh Hader stuff and all the things that have like come up about different ball players that, you know, make you feel like, you know, damn, never have heroes, right? Because like, it turns out that they're like all crappy people in real life. But it's like, even through all of that, no one has ever had a single bad thing to say about David Wright. And I think it's just, you know, there's like, for me, it's going to be hard to replicate that ever again. Another player, the way that I feel about David Wright, because he came up in 2004. I was 14 years old. And so I feel, I mean, like, it's not like I'm young enough that I don't remember any teams before David Wright. I certainly do. I remember the Piazza, the Fonzie years. I remember that stuff, and all of those players are special to me. But, you know, when you're like a middle school kid, like, that's kind of when the formative years of your fandom start, I feel like. And so David Wright was a constant presence during the formative years of my Mets fandom from age 14 until now I'm almost 28. And so I feel like, you know, my entire, um, like, older, like my entire teenage years and young adulthood, David Wright has been a constant presence. Um, And that's something that, I don't think can be replicated, even if there's another. I'm sure there will be other players, maybe not other players that spend their entire careers for the Mets because that's becoming rarer and rarer now. But I'm sure there'll be other players that are as special to the franchise in the future, but nothing will be like David Wright for me. He's like how Tom Seaver was for my dad. Um, And it's special.
2: Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I I hope that we get... Some career Mets out of the current crop of players who are good, um, you know, and I guess, I guess that's a, a decent segue into uh, you know the situation at hand with the team, uh, the bigger picture. It's hard to really put the team ahead of David Wright right now. Uh, somebody who, who always yeah. did that himself, uh, but it, you know, it's it, that Wright is just. So incredibly the focus at the moment. And, uh, you know, the, for, for a little bit it distracts us from the reality that is the Mets. But, you know, if we're talking about who could be the next career Met and everything, uh, what the Wilpons do with their choice for uh, a replacement for Sandy Alderson is going to be a big part of that. You know, whether or not somebody like Jacob deGrom... Or Noah Syndergaard, or or even Zach Wheeler, if you you know completely want to buy in to what he's done. If if somebody like that can, uh, you know, spend their entire career with the Mets, none of them are going to be David Wright, and that's you know that that's not even an insult. That's just really hard to do.
3: Yeah, yeah.
2: But uh, but you know, before the Wright stuff came out, we saw that ownership, uh, essentially, Fred and Jeff Wilpon have differing opinions on how to approach the G- the GM search and you know what to prioritize in it
1: uh yeah.
2: <laughs> is there any hope for us
3: uh, i don't know um i mean ultimately it's going to be fred not jeff it seems that jeff is actually the one that wants the more analytically minded gm and fred is the one that wants the more like uh baseball lifer type um <sighs> this is going to sound like way more negative than I mean it to sound. And I'm sorry. And I don't, I really don't want to sound like I'm being like completely pessimistic about this, but I have reached the point where I, I feel a certain amount of indifference about who they pick to be the GM because ownership is going to be the same. And I've kind of accepted the fact that not much is going to change about the Mets unless ownership changes, because it's just going to be the Wilpons micromanaging the team either way. And so I'm kind of like, is it really, like, let's say, you know, Jeff wins out and we get a more, like, newish school analytics type guy, which I think is something that, you know, the Amazing Avenue audience would favor more. Um, Like, is it really a win if it's still just going to be, like, Jeff Wilpon running the team?
2: (laughs) Right. Yeah, I guess from our perspective, it's not even... It it, it might not even be a realistic ask, uh, but the focus might not even be, okay, is this guy uh, or or woman, uh, I don't know, let's just hypothetically say the Mets hire the first female GM in team history. Oh boy,
3: I don't expect them to do that. Yeah, no,
2: no, I I, probably would be, uh, I'd be extremely surprised if they do that. But let's just leave the possibility open for now and, and hope that they can surprise us uh, in, in any way that's positive. Right. But, but, yeah, uh, so to say they, you know, it, it, is the background scouting, is the background player development, is it, you know, analytics, is it some combination of those things? I would, I would gladly take somebody who, um, you know, who you classify as any of those things. Uh, sure. As long as that person actually gets to be ind- independent and have a budget and run a team, you know, it. it the Mets should not be stuck on a $140 million, $150 million ceiling uh, for their payroll on an annual basis. But if they are, then, you know, I'd like to just say, hey, you, you're, you're the new GM. And you have this budget and we're going to step out of the way. I know, as I'm saying this, I know this isn't happening. But if somehow a candidate for the job seemed so perfect that he, he or she made the, you know, the Wilpons happy, then use that leverage to say, okay, I want a budget and I want you to let me make decisions and you can like them or dislike them, but you have to give me some time. Um, yeah, I don't see that happening. But that, I, like, if, if a person could convince them of that, I wouldn't care what their back. I, I want them to have a baseball background. <laughs> I, want, I want to know yeah, what they're right. doing, but I wouldn't care what they thought of analytics if they could just establish that and then move forward. Because you know the whole the whole process it, it, there's more than just a GM, you know, that's the person making a final call, but in an ideal environment, there's information coming in from, you know, both, uh, angles and you yeah. know, then that person can make a decision. So I don't know. Uh, yeah, I, I mean,
3: it, I agree with you. Anyone that can rein them in is probably the preferable option, no matter who they are. Um, But I just, it's realistically, I just don't see that happening. Um, and it's just, I think that like, I mean, like, you know, there are, there have been good things and bad things about Sandy Alderson's tenure as GM, but I think one thing that's abundantly clear is that once he was, you know, removed from the picture, I feel like a lot of the dysfunction in the organization was laid bare for everyone to see and you know until he left you didn't appreciate much he was at least even though he wasn't given as much independence as I think most of us would have liked you know at least we could tell that he was you know keeping things under control such that it didn't seem like such a shit show all the time but now it just seems like a shit show all the time and part of that is that they don't have a real GM but you know I'm like we need a person who can handle that dysfunction and at least, you know, keep a lid on it. Cause I think Alderson at least accomplished that.
2: Yeah. Oh, we're definitely seeing the difference between, you know, what he did and what, you know, what, what effect it had, Uh, you know, and, and as you look at it, uh, you know, it's, the the perspective of of Fred Wilpon, okay, you know, feeling that Alderson was too far in the analytics direction is that's kind of ridiculous. Like you know, it's oh not, yeah,
3: that's absurd.
2: Yeah, it's not that he, you know, it, I'm sure he took them seriously and considered them, but it wasn't like they went, you know, let, let let's make an algorithm that runs the team, you know, they didn't, they didn't didn't go anywhere near the extreme of it. Um, you know, so. Like, I
3: don't think anyone was considering the Mets in the top, even in the top half of analytic franchises in baseball. Like the fact that they were saying it's too analytical is just, it's a joke, quite frankly, it's a joke, but, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a strange, it's a strange time. It's definitely a time of transition for the franchise because we've got Sandy Alderson um, stepping down, we've got David Wright retiring. Um, I feel like a torch, a proverbial torch, is being passed to the next, you know, era of Mets baseball. It's kind of weird to think about. Like, it's hard to, you know, when you're when you're in it with, like, we we can easily, we will easily be able to look back on this later and think about it but it's kind of hard to think about it right now but if you if you really think about it we are entering a new era Um, because there isn't a clear not only do we not know who the GM is but there isn't a clear like team leader successor to David Wright obviously the Mets don't have to name a new captain like most teams don't have captains and the Mets went long periods without having a captain Um, but there's no clear person to sort of Take the torch from David Wright. Is it Brandon Nimmo? Is it Michael Conforto? Is it you know, is it one of the pitchers who are all you know reaching the point where they might not be Mets in a couple of years? Like who is it?
2: Right, and and Rosario maybe is you know, at least had the the potential to join that group. Uh, right. You know. But yeah, those those guys who are young enough, you know, it's weird. Uh, And I've always been, you know, uh, slightly more interested in pitchers. But as great as a pitcher can be, they're just not out there every day. You know, it's just just something about, like, that perception that, hey, you know, DeGrom and Syndergaard and Wheeler could be instrumental to turning this team around if things start to really go their way uh, next year, you know? But – there's just something about the guy who's out there every day, uh, you know, playing 160 or 161 or two games every year, and playing really well. Uh, you know that that's it, it. Just lends itself to a position player being that kind of face of the franchise. You know, team yeah. leader captain in the case of right but yeah right now the only guys who are young enough to you know build up a track record that might somehow get them into that you know that discussion i think are those three nemo conforto and, and rosario um yep you know I, I hope jeff mcneil is the best second baseman in baseball but he's That'd already cool. 26 or 27 you know like that's that's yeah. not that's not gonna develop into that. Um, and then nobody else who's who's young and uh, here and, we segues are just writing themselves on this episode. Yeah,
3: right? <laughs> Peter Lonzo's
2: not up yet. Uh, you know Peter
3: Lonzo's so, not up yet. And as it stands, like, of those guys, interestingly, and obviously this isn't a prerequisite for being a team leader or anything, but of those guys that we discussed, Michael Conforto is the only one of them that ever shared the field with David Wright.
2: Huh. Yeah, that's crazy.
3: Right? Yeah. Like, Nimmo never played at the same time as David Wright did. Neither did Rosario. Yeah. And, of course, he still did not. So... It's just Conforto, who's – Conforto is the only position player, like the only young, like, quote-unquote core guy on the team who's not a pitcher who has played with David Wright, which is depressing to think about.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Conforto and Nimmo certainly stand out because they've had major league success. Um, You know, Conforto's peak, I think, has probably been a bit higher than Nimmo's, but Nimmo's season is so far his peak – And it's been really, really good. And then Rosario, it's, you know, hey, we're we're looking at like a month or maybe a little bit more than a month, depending on, you know, how optimistic you want to be about everything. But is he finally, you know, getting into a groove and and turning into this major league player who everybody thought he could be? Uh, But
3: yeah, and like, I, I don't know, like, I'm very I think that Ahmed Rosario's past month has been low-key one of the better things about the this little nice run of baseball that Mets have been playing because, like, they've been playing a lot better in the sense that they've been playing watchable baseball lately, even in the games they've lost. They've been, they've been actually playing decent baseball as opposed to compare that to June where they were unwatchable, basically. Yeah. Um, and a lot of that has to do with the young guys performing – um, shock shock when you play the young good players and play better um <laughs> but um rosario has low key been one of the best parts about it because i think that a lot of people were way too soon to give up on him he's so young and he's incredibly raw in his talent um and i think that he i i'm a strong believer in him i think i'm not and i'm not saying that he like that for him to be successful, and I think that, and I wrote an article about this for Amazing Avenue, like, way back in May when everybody was giving up on him after, like, a month, which was absurd. Right. Um, But, like, I think that he, like, the bar has been set so high in baseball for these young shortstops. Like, he doesn't have to be Carlos Correa to be, or Francisco Lindor to be successful. Like, to be a successful uh, pick and a successful, like, You know, player like I think that he can if he can just play like he's been playing for the past month and sustain that over a season, that's a three and a half win player. And I'll take that all day long.
2: Yeah. And it's as good a time as any to point out that even Carlos Correa is uh, showing that he's human this year. Sure.
3: Sure. Yep. Like he's not having the best season in the world. So, you know, it's, it's a process. It's a process, and we have to be patient. We can't expect every prospect that comes up to be awesome right away. That's not how it works. We've been really spoiled with our pitching that right. a lot of them have come up and been like pretty great right away. DeGrom was awesome right out of the gate, and no one expected it either. Syndergaard was awesome right out of the gate. Matts had success right out of the gate. Wheeler had a lot of injuries, but now that we're seeing – the real Zach what I think is the real Zach Wheeler like this this is pretty freaking good right but you know it's not always going to be that way like there's a development curve it takes time and I think that you know I think that Ahmed Rosario playing the way he's been playing now over the whole season wouldn't have saved 2018 so it was a perfect time for him to go through you know some of the bumps in the road and you know develop hopefully next year will be a step in the right direction and he'll be able to sustain the type of play he's had lately over the entire year. That would be a big like cog in the 2019 Mets being competitive as opposed to not competitive.
2: Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. And you know, with Correa, he's achieved a lot at the major league level, but this year is just a reminder that uh, I think the cliche is uh, that, you know, player development isn't linear Right, um, you know, and it—that's—I have no doubt that Carlos Correa is going to return to being an amazing hitter and overall player uh, in, in in this league. If not over the last couple of weeks of this season and postseason, then you know, next year. And to be clear, he hasn't been terrible. He just hasn't been as good as his usual self. But it's just a yeah. nice reminder that you know, sometimes it takes time. Sometimes. Even Mike Trout came up and struggled, uh, and I, every time I say that, I feel like we I have to throw in the disclaimer: I'm not saying that Amed Rosario is
4: going to be Mike Trout.
2: Mike Trout of shortstops. Just even the the best player of all time, uh, at least so far in his career, even that guy had a period of time where he struggled to adjust to coming up to the major leagues. So you know, yeah. you you, you got to just keep it in perspective and you know, hey, if he if he can be that guy and you know turn into a, a potential all-star and all that stuff, that is that's a big piece of the puzzle. Um, yep. So yeah, but yeah, so I guess uh, somebody who's we, we, we hinted at it, but uh, one guy who's not a piece of the puzzle yet <laughs> mm. uh pete alonzo peter alonzo uh, whichever he prefers uh he's not up yeah and yeah the mets based on a quote that he gave he you know it sure sounds like they told him well it's a business decision uh, yeah
3: which you don't that, that, like, I like that was one of those moments where I just like when I read that, I just was like, oh, Mets, you don't just say that. Yeah. <laughs> they just out and said it. Yeah. <laughs> like, all right, well, here we are. They like flat out admitted that like he's ready to play in the major leagues and they chose not to promote him anyway.
2: Yeah. So, yeah, it's, uh, you know, there's a lot of justifications and you might read things on, other websites about the Mets that totally rationalize it, but uh, yeah, we're we're disappointed that that's the case. Uh, we're not surprised, and you know, it, it sounds like Alonzo's taken it all in stride. And you yeah, know. he's
3: been very professional through the whole thing. He's admitted that he's disappointed because who wouldn't be? But he's been very like you know. I'm disappointed, but the Mets made their decision and I'm ready to give everything I have to show them that I can play at this level.
2: Yeah, and I, I liked that, you know, when, it, when they first said he's not going to be called up. Uh, I, I think the quotes he gave at that time were maybe a little more confrontational and – yeah. You had some reaction from some Mets fans of like, oh, who are you? You're not even in the major leagues yet. you got to earn it. Like, blah, blah, yeah. blah, blah, blah. Like, screw that. I love the idea of, of a, a prospect who has, um, you know, some hype, some stature, saying things that are somewhat critical of the way this whole system works. Because if, if yeah, you know, if the players' union isn't going to do it because these guys aren't in the major leagues yet, then, you know, good for Alonzo and and anybody like that, who's in that spot, who says, you know, who calls it out a little bit. Yeah. It's, it's good to see. It's good to hear, I guess I should say, but, um,
3: yeah, I like it too. And I mean, there seem to be like from the, from the side of folks who aren't quite as outraged about this as we are. There seem to be two chief counter arguments to bringing up Alonzo and one of them, and I, I can refute both of them, <laughs> I feel. Um, one of them is, you know, um, the 40-man roster spot. That seems to be, like, a thing that keeps coming up. Like, there's going to be a 40-man roster crunch. And that was, like, the same – and the, the thing that, like, makes me laugh about that is that was, like, the same argument that people made about, like, David Wright coming back, too. Now, like, now oh, it's not yeah. an argument anymore because he's only playing for one game, basically. Um maybe a pinch hit appearance here or there, whatever extra he gets to play. But like when when there was talk of him being activated like right after his rehab assignment ended, people were like losing their proverbial shit over like a forty man roster spot. And I was like, you seriously are quibbling about a forty man roster spot when like the team is as bad as it is? I don't like there's so much dead weight on our 40-man roster like that blows my mind that that is a consideration that you think is going to be an issue like i can come up with like 10 spots off the top of my head like going at, and i now i'm not talking about like immediately now i'm talking about like going into next season i can come up with and that's a conservative estimate that's like keeping some people around that we probably don't need to like i can come up with like double digit roster spots that will be available for next year just counting like all the folks that we need to keep on there and like even a couple of retreats that we probably don't need to keep on there. But like just the people that are going to be free agents and the people that we're not going to tender contracts and like the total dead weight, There, are like at least 10 or 12 spots that we can. And I'm not going to go through the entire 40 man
4: roster. <laughs> I'm
3: not going to bore everyone with those details. Maybe I'll write a piece about it, but, yeah. um, but yeah, there's, there's like, there's so many people that are going to be free agents that we're not, that are not going to be met, like, abundantly clear, like, I, like, you know, like, AJ Ramos is going to be gone, and, like, Jose Reyes is going to be gone, please be gone, and, like, um like, other guys like that, like, there's so many rosters, Travis is probably not going to get tendered to contract, like, there's so many, spots and like Jack Reinheimer's on the 40 man roster drew Gagnon's on the 40 man roster Jamie Callahan's on the 40 man roster. like do we really need all these dudes on the 40 man roster instead of Pete Alonzo and David Wright I really don't think we do
2: right yeah no, absolutely it's nonsense so...
3: it's nonsense
2: <sighs> yeah
3: and the other argument seems to be you know service time is the other thing that comes up a lot in these discussions and that's clearly like a big motivation for the Mets to not bring him up um, and that's kind of I think obviously the chief thing that Alonso and others that have taken issue with this are pushing back against rightfully so um, and my counter argument to that is just because other teams are manipulating service time doesn't mean it's the right thing to do and it doesn't mean the Mets should be doing it um, like I know that Vlad Guerrero Jr. who's like a better prospect than Pete Alonso, and is like gonna be the next like Mike Trout is like not here either and like, but the Blue Jays are also wrong. Is my is my counter argument?
2: Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. And, and I think that all, you know, that sums it up. <laughs> it's uh, it's a it's a reality of Major League Baseball that I hope changes. Um,
3: yeah, they have to do something about this because it's 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 nonsense. I think it kind of started to blow up a little bit with Chris Bryant. It's like the first like real controversy. I feel like I can remember. Do you think that's true? I feel like the Chris Bryant scandal was like the first time when people were really pissed about like the service time aspect. And it was so like blatantly obvious that that's what was going on.
2: Yeah, I think so. I, I don't remember. I mean, he was such a high profile guy. Uh, it was, like much higher profile than Alonzo is now even. So. Yeah yeah so yeah I, I that that sounds about right to me so yeah i it's you know i'm sure somewhere uh somebody will float like well we started 11 and one last year so if we just do that again and then we can call him up when when we magically think he's ready in the middle of april uh, <laughs> uh boy you know i i won't be surprised if we hear some variation of that
3: oh yeah me neither it's coming
2: but we'll see. But. We'll see. I don't know. Maybe. Uh, and the last thing that we wanted to touch on, I think, even just briefly, uh, but maybe the, you know, the person who replaces him will be able to, you know, get everybody a little bit more on the same page and a little best, a little bit less um, prone to leaking things. Uh, but Jay Horowitz is transitioning yeah. to a new role. Um, you know he he has spent a very long time in the in the one that he's in still today, uh, but you know it's it's noteworthy uh, at the very least because it's just somebody who's been a mainstay in a you know significant position with the Mets over over the decades. Um, you know, yeah,
3: so. just another one of the just another uh, new era thing, passing the torch thing. Um, I mean, Brian and I had a pretty, um, extensive discussion on the pod a few weeks ago, um, the one where we talked about players weekend. Um, so go back and give that a listen. If you want to talk a little bit, uh, if you want to hear us talk a little bit about Jay Horowitz, cause we got a really good, um, email from a listener. So that was kind of a prescient email that that listener sent. Maybe they knew something was brewing. Who knows? Um, but they asked about Jay Horowitz and how much, you know, he really is to blame or not blame for how bad the Mets have been at PR over the years. And is he really, you know, he might be kind of like washed up and done as far as his job is concerned. And, you know, it turns out that the Mets felt that he should be reassigned. And he seemed to it was it seemingly was a mutual decision. Otherwise, it wouldn't have happened. Like it went out amicably and like everything and he had a new it's all fine. Um, But Brian and I talked a little bit about, you know, just how like the Mets have been poor at PR and branding. And, you know, not all of that is Jay Horowitz's fault, but he's certainly a symptom, I think, of a larger problem. Um, And I'm at least glad that the Mets are like, you know, on the surface moving on from that, even if it's not going to solve the dysfunction that's inherent in the organization with this current ownership group. At least, you know, they're you know, trying a little bit to get some new blood in there as far as that's concerned.
2: Yeah. Yeah, no, it's... Uh, the uh it, It'd be very interesting to hear everything, you know, we probably never will, but it would be interesting yeah. to hear everything that he had to say about what percentage was, you know, what percentage belonged to whom.
3: Uh Yeah, Jay Horowitz's tell-all book you right. gonna wait
2: for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, because it's you know, I'm sure there were times that uh, you know that you just couldn't you couldn't get something killed. It was just like, nope, oh yeah, that person said that it's too good. I'm using it, you know, like <laughs> I'm yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure there was uh, plenty of that. In his tenure, but at the same time, you know it. It it was a it was a very long run, and uh, you know, hey, we we wish him the best in the new role, alumni relations. uh, You know, something that you don't always hear with baseball, but if if we're trying to look for, you know, some positive stuff about the Mets right now, you know, maybe maybe that actually uh, is something that could increase the focus on the history of the team uh, yeah. and the former players. Um, you know, if that's the sole focus and he, he is, I think, famous for having these great relationships with players and reporters, uh, you know, maybe we'll see a little bit more acknowledgement of Mets history, uh, a little bit more incorporation of, of those former players. And, uh, you know, yeah, that, that, would be a, that would be a good thing. But I guess we'll find out.
3: Yeah, that would definitely be a positive development. I mean, you know, I think I think that the Mets' a weakness of theirs has been like embracing their own history. Um, you know, we need like the fans needed to like borderline revolt before they like put Mets touches in City Field. It's kind of like seems like an obvious thing. So like, hopefully, having a like a, an alumni relations sort of guy. Um, to you know take care of those things will make that better and you know what you know like what better timing to have like your first you know strong relationship in David Wright I mean like he like it's kind of a perfect storm like David Wright announced his retirement and now Jay Horowitz is transitioning into this role and they already have what seems to be a really good relationship so hopefully this leads to David Wright being you know involved with the team and being like an active ex-met as opposed to just someone that kind of fades into the background. Um, And hopefully that means that they retire his number freaking immediately.
2: Yes. Yep. I'd be fine with doing it this season, but if not, uh, you know, as soon as next year is totally fine.
3: Yeah, like, literally, he plays on Saturday, retire the damn number either that day or retire it, like, the next day, do the retirement ceremony then. It's, like, the most obvious thing to do. And I, I, like, that's one of those, like, me waiting for the other shoe to drop things. Like, I'm so nervous they're going to mess that up. And, like, that would be, that would make me furious if they mess this up because it's so obvious that they should retire his number. And if they don't, like, at, at the latest, like, sometime next season, it's kind of, like, Mets like I am so mad at you like they better do it they better do it soon
2: I couldn't agree more
3: (laughs) retire number five do it now
2: yeah it doesn't need to be as long a campaign as the uh, Piazza one so yeah
3: seriously like he was he's the best position player to ever play for your team and he played his whole career with your team it doesn't matter that he might not make the hall of fame he probably won't make the hall of fame even though he was on a hall of fame track before injuries took him down but that does not matter he's a mets he's an all-time mets hall of fame guy so that should be all that matters and i mean i think that regardless of whether they how how long it takes them to act like no one's wearing number five for the mets ever again even if it's not officially retired but right. they retire it
2: <laughs> yeah yeah, and hey, on that note, I think we'll uh, we'll 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 call it an episode. I don't know. I don't know how we go out better than saying, uh, you know, retire number five. So
3: retire David Wright's number.
2: Yes. <laughs> so Drop
3: mic. Sign off. <laughs> with,
2: with, with that, you can you can uh, find us on Twitter. Allison is at Petite I'm at Chris McShane. Uh, Brian, even though he's off, I'll still throw his Twitter out there because you should be following. If you listen to this many episodes, uh, if not get on it, it's at Brian needs a nap. Uh, you, whether or not you hear his voice in an episode, he's probably been involved in it in some capacity. So yep, always worth, uh, recommending that, that you do the obvious and, and follow Brian. So with that, we'll be back next week. Uh, maybe we'll just keep being surprises on who's co-hosting <laughs> each week. So uh, yeah, thanks for listening. Bye, everyone.
4: Hey, everyone. This is Steve Saipa. And now that the Monday League season is over, I just want to go over and review how each affiliate did in 2018. And I'll start with the top-down. And... We'll go over the Las Vegas 51s. So let's go back a little bit to 2017. And if you remember, the 2017 season was really bad for the 51s. They ended up with a 56-86 and record, which is fourth in the Pacific Coast League Pacific Southern Division. And it cost Pedro Lopez and his coaches their jobs. And Lopez kind of seemed on the fast track for getting a... Look at you know some major league coaching time, perhaps uh if the fifty ones did a little better, maybe Lopez would have been hired for the coaching job that opened up at the Mets when Terry Collins retired instead of Mickey uh calloway. but you know what what happened happened, and pitching was one of the main reasons why the team did so bad as as they did um the fifty ones were either at or near the bottom of every pitching related stat in twenty seventeen. As probably everyone knows, the PCL, and Las Vegas in particular, you know, it always favors hitters, and it's a hard place for pitchers to pitch. But the uh, 2017-51s were particularly bad. And another thing that is in play here is that over the winter, it was announced that the Mets purchased the Syracuse Chiefs, and that the team would be their AAA affiliate starting 2019. So, moving uh, into a new stadium in 2019, with a new Major League affiliate, uh, Team Executives 51s, that is, decided to rebrand. So, the 2018 season would be the last that the Las Vegas 51s would be in existence. And before the first pitch was thrown, it did look like things were going to be better for the 51s in what was going to be their last year. The Mets hired Tony DiFrancesco to be the new manager, and he was a proven winner. He won multiple championships with the Sacramento Rivercats and with the Fresno Grizzlies over basically the last 20 years, so he was a good guy to have at the helm. Um, on paper, the team looked like they were going to have one of their strongest pitching rotations in decades, uh, at, at least um, on paper. <laughs> there was Zach Wheeler, Chris Flexen, Corey Oswalt, Mickey Janice, and P.J. Conlon. And it looked like that offense um, that would be helped by the environment was going to be supercharged by free agent sluggers Zach Bornstein and Bryce Brents. But, unfortunately, things happen. As the saying goes, the best laid plans of mice and men often go awry, and things definitely went awry. That rotation basically lasted a single turn before there were promotions and demotions. And guys got hurt. Guys got... You know, guys un- underperformed, and basically, by the time the All Star break occurred in early July, the Fifty Ones were forty two and forty eight, which is six games of f- under five hundred, and that was actually good for them because a couple of weeks earlier, and basically the low points of the season for the team, they were as many as fourteen games under five hundred. Uh, the Fifty Ones were a lot more successful in the second half, and you can't say that. Their success in the second half is all because of this one person, but you can't ignore the fact that the 51s did a lot better in the second half, and Peter Alonso was promoted to the 51s in the second half. Um, he hit 224, 367, 449 in, in 14 games in June. He hit 225, 311, 494 in 23 games in July. And he hit three hundred, three hundred eight, three ninety two, seven thirty one in twenty seven games in August. Uh, his twenty home runs in sixty four games that he played led the team during that period. They were pivotal in numerous wins, and no Alonso home run would be more pivotal than the one that he hit on Monday, September third, the last game of the season, down three two. The bottom of the ninth inning, Luis Guillorme hit a triple. And basically, uh, it looked like the Las Vegas 51s might be able to win their very, very, very last game. And then up came Alonso. Everybody knows what he can do. Uh, Tyler Bede, he threw a pitch that must have been a mistake. Because if uh, if, if you look at pitch effects data, it was literally right down the middle of the plate. But Alonzo, he swung, and he smashed that ball behind the left field wall. He walked off the game, and he ended the Las Vegas 51's game with a walk-off. And he ended the Las Vegas 51's franchise with a walk-off. So the Mets were, uh, with the Mets and the Las Vegas 51's, they spent six seasons together from 2013 to now 2018. And during that time... The Las Vegas 51s had a record of 383 uh, wins and 380 losses. And that translates to a 501 winning percentage. So, it was overall good in Las Vegas. Obviously, all of those late, late, late night games are not good. But in terms of getting it done on the field, they won more games than they lost. And they made two playoff appearances, of course, in 2013 and 2014. Um... Just looking at a month by month breakdown of how they did, uh, in April, the team was under 500. They won 10 games and then lost 15. In May, they won 12 and they lost 18. In June, they won 16 and they lost 11, the first time they were over 500. Then in July, they won 14 and they lost 12. In August, they had their best month. They won 17 games and lost 12. And then in September, they won two and they lost one. Now, if you look at all the players that played in, on the team last season, uh, Patrick Kivlahan was the best hitter. In 98 games, he hit 314, 372, 588, which uh, 29 doubles, 4 triples, 20 home runs, and 4 out of 7 stolen bases. The second best hitter was Peter Alonso, and in 67 games, he hit two sixty, three fifty-five, five eighty-five five five eighty five with 19 doubles, one triple, 21 home runs, and one caught stealing. Arguably, Alonso uh, would have been the best hitter if he played in more games, but Kiflahan played in about 30 more games than him. And he did have uh, a bit higher batting average, though it was bat dependent Uh bat was 361, as opposed to Alonzo's, which was 284. Now, looking at pitchers, and this is a bit more subjective, but the best pitcher looked to be Drew Gagnon, Uh Excuse me, Drew Gagnon. He posted a 4.57 ERA in... 157 and two-thirds innings and he basically struck out a batter per inning and again because this is all very subjective the second best pitcher on the las vegas team was probably tim peterson uh the reliever he posted a 3.49 era in 38 and two-thirds innings saved a couple of games and uh you know was a uh Got a bunch of holds as a setup guy. So all in all, um Yeah, the Las Vegas fifty ones relationship with Mets was annoying because of obviously the time difference. But I'm gonna miss them in a kind of strange way. Um it was always good, I guess, to have that kind of barrier that time barrier between, you know, when their game started and when everyone else's, because they give me time to <laughs> recap everything else. And then I'd be able to go look and, and see, okay, finally, I can do uh, Las Vegas now. And obviously, I'm going to miss Cosmo, who was their mascot, and he was a Jar Jar Binks ripoff. <laughs> he he looked basically like a Jar Jar Binks, a bootleg Jar Jar Binks that was gray. Uh, obviously, the baseball alien Logo is one of the tops in the minor leagues, and no more to that. And Russ Langer was a very, very good announcer. He was the a radio announcer for the Vegas 51s, and I assume that he will be the radio announcer for whatever team is born from the ruins of the 51s. But uh, it's a shame that the Mets, I, I'm assuming, won't be taking him east to Syracuse because, again, he is a very, very good radio announcer, one of the best in the minor leagues. So those are your 2018 Las Vegas 51s, and I will be back next week to go over the 2018 Binghamton Rumble Ponies.
3: amazing avenue listeners allison mccake here with another installment of the degrometer and the pneumometer where we follow two of our favorite mets jacob Degrom and brandon nimmo Um, So we'll start this week with adding Mother Nature to the list of things that are conspiring against Jacob deGrom this year. Um, He was originally supposed to start on Sunday, um, but the Mets, fearing rain delays as it was raining during the game, opted not to start him and go with Corey Oswalt instead. Of course, that game went completely uninterrupted. The Mets won, and then the game the following day was rained out. (laughs) So that forced Jacob deGrom to start on Tuesday instead. Um, He went seven innings um, against the Marlins and gave up two runs. Um, Those two runs came on an infield single, a bloop single, and then a two-run double uh, on which Austin Jackson took a bad route to the baseball. Um, So, you know, one, and not to say the ball wasn't hit hard, it was. Um, So, you know, a couple of unfortunate unlucky things and then one you know hard hit ball and he was down to nothing um, and that was all it took for DeGrom to take yet another loss um, the Mets scored just one run before he left the game and then they went on to lose the game five to two or five to three I'm sorry Kevin Puecki hit a two-run homer later in the game, but that was after DeGrom was out of the game. Um, It was his 26th consecutive start, giving up three or fewer runs, which snapped a 108-year-old record set by Leslie King Cole. Um, Cole won 20 games that season, just to give you some context. The most DeGrom can win at this point now is 11, which if he were to win the Cy Young would be the fewest... um, of any Cy Young Award winner in an uninterrupted season. Um, Of course, the very next night um, after DeGrom's start, the Mets scored double-digit runs again last night, as I record this on Thursday morning. um, It's getting to be almost like voodoo or like devil magic levels of weird Um, at this point. It's kind of unbelievable. Um, But at this point, you can only hope for, you know, DeGrom breaking the win stat forever because the worse that it looks for him as far as the Mets giving him nothing the more he will kill the win stat if he does win the Cy Young. Because imagine if he wins it with a losing record, how nuts that would be. Um, His ERA did rise a little bit after the start to 1.71, but that's still well ahead in the league lead. Um, Aaron Nola got smacked around a little bit by the Nationals in his most recent start, so his ERA is now up to 2.42, where Scherzer stands at 2.31. So DeGrom still has the ERA lead by .6 um, runs. Um, DeGrom also leads the league in FIP with a 2.06, and he leads the league in ERA plus as well with a 216. Uh, Scherzer is second in the NL with a 186, so that's also a pretty substantial lead in that category. Um, DeGrom has the edge over Scherzer as well in walks per nine innings and home runs per nine innings, um, but Max Scherzer has a lower whip and a higher K per nine, um, and he's pitched seven more innings than DeGrom, so that goes back to you know um, the fact that he had to wait a few days to start later than he had anticipated um, so the fact that Scherzer will probably end up with more innings pitch than DeGrom may hurt him uh, may cost him in the end um, but DeGrom has indicated that he's willing to pitch on short rest at the end of the season to go for the Cy Young and maybe get one more start in so we'll see what happens there. Um, As far as war goes, um, the same pattern remains uh, where deGrom has a huge edge in fangraphs war but trails in baseball reference war. So deGrom has 7.7 fangraphs war, whereas Scherzer stands at 6.6 and Nola is at 5.3. Even even after a couple of mediocre starts in a row now, um, Nola still has the edge in baseball reference war for pitchers uh, with a 9.2 compared to Scherzer's 8.9 and deGrom's 8.3. Um, it seems like it's really going to come down to the wire here for the Cy Young, um, and Grom's really going to face a big test in his next start if things proceed as planned, which with all the rain, who the heck knows what's going to happen, um, Mets are scheduled to play another doubleheader today, Thursday, um, and then uh, open the series uh, against the Red Sox at Fenway Park this weekend. And DeGrom is currently slated, uh, provided no more weather events occur, currently slated to pitch on Sunday, matching up against Chris Sale. So that's a huge test in his um, Cy Young campaign to face off against the best team, probably the best team in baseball, um, super powerhouse offense in their home park with their ace on the mound who's pitching, you know, who's going toe-for-toe Uh, with DeGrom this year as far as how well he's pitched Um, so you know that's going to be an exciting matchup to keep an eye on um, and we'll see what happens Um, as far as Brandon Nimmo goes um, he's been on absolute fire since coming off the disabled list Uh, but this past week he's cooled off a little bit from the absolutely torrid pace he was on before Uh, that said he still had a decent week at the plate Um, most notably he's back to drawing a lot of walks Um, in the past week he's had 21 plate appearances and walked 6 times so that's great um, back to the uh, you know the hitter that he had been kind of before um, despite being dropped in the order I you know it's it's unfortunate he really should be higher in the order than he's been hitting but uh, the Mets really want Rosario to thrive in that leadoff spot and he has done so as a result Nemo has dropped down a little bit but he's back to getting on base at a really high clip. Um, during those 21 plate appearances He also had 3 hits, 2 singles and a double He scored 4 runs and drove in 1 run That's all good for uh, 118 WRC plus for the week um, On the season, Brandon Nimmo's had 464 plate appearances Over which over which he slashed uh, 269, 392, 497 um, He's had 104 hits, uh, 16 home runs 44 RBIs And 72 runs scored and 8 stolen bases um, His 147 WRC plus on the season in, is only behind Paul Goldschmidt, Christian Yelich, and Matt Carpenter for the NL lead, um, and his 149 OPS plus is second only to Matt Carpenter for the NL lead. So he's up with the highest you know, um, offensive producers in the National League, pretty much all of which on that list that are ahead of him are in consideration for the NL MVP at least. Um, One extremely encouraging thing about the streak of better play that the Mets have been on lately, of course, outside of when Jacob deGrom starts for some reason, um, it's the fact that the contributions offensively have almost all come from guys that are going to be keys for the future. Nimmo Conforto Rosario and McNeil have been huge for this team the past few weeks. And it's been really fun to watch. Um, all of them seemingly get a couple hits a day. Um, it's been really awesome to see the young guys really pulling through toward the end of the season. Um, it really gives you at least a modicum of hope for um, 2019 that all four of those guys will be fixtures in the lineup um and be producing. Um, so that's really an encouraging thing to see. Um, and Brandon Nemo's been a huge part of that. Um, so that uh, is all for this week. Um, hopefully, uh, next week I will bring you some good news out of Fenway Park from Jacob deGrom's start. We shall see. Um, at this point, I'm not even concerned whether the Mets win games. For him anymore like I've just kind of accepted the fact that they won't I just a don't want him to take losses and b want him to maintain the ERA lead it's like really all I ask for at this point Uh, hopefully that shouldn't be too high of a bar to clear um so we'll see what happens you know it's I think he's still in the lead for the Cy Young as far as I'm concerned even even taking into account how much these voters value wins I think there are enough voters that see what DeGrom has done and it's kind of hard to ignore. I think there are enough of them out there that value what he's done over, you know, simply wins and, you know, the slight edge Scherzer might have in innings pitched. Um, I think that more and more people are starting to see how much the win statistic is nonsense. Because, you know, the Mets, even in the loss that DeGrom had, the Mets ultimately scored more runs than DeGrom gave up. And yet he's still got a loss. Pitcher wins and losses make zero sense. overall so I think you know the the tide is starting to change and it would be really cool if not only deGrom's season went down in Mets history but also went down in baseball history as the thing that broke pitcher wins that's really after a miserable 2018 Mets season you know deGrom breaking pitcher wins and David Wright playing baseball the only two things I ask for that's it those are my that's my wish list it's two things Um, Anyway, I will be back in your feeds next week, um, and hopefully it'll be a good one.
1: Folks, so that does it for another installment of Amazing Avenue audio. Thank you so much for listening. We truly, truly appreciate it. Please go to amazonavenue.com where you can find all sorts of Mets news and information, including the details of our meetup, which should be coming up in just a day or two, uh be- being posted in a day or two, rather. The meetup will be the last weekend of the season. I uh, know I'll be at both the Saturday and Sunday games. I believe we're going to go with Sunday for the meetup, but. We shall see. If enough folks are already going to the Saturday game, maybe we'll do something at each one. I'm not really sure yet, but we will keep you updated for certain. You can also find Amazing Avenue on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Amazing Avenue. You can get this show directly from blogtalkradio.com, or you can grab it from Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or your podcatcher of choice. We ask that you please rate, review, and subscribe if you do so, because those help us quite a bit. And you can follow all of our contributors on Twitter. Even though I wasn't really on the show this week, I am still on Twitter at Brian Needs a Nap. Chris is at Chris McShane. Allison is at Petit PhD, And Steve is at Steve Saipa. So next time, we will talk about the Wheeler shutdown, the uh, sort of general state of the Mets going into the last two weeks of the season, and whatever else happens to break. And so until next time, let's go, Mets.